Have you ever heard someone say, or someone on the radio, like a talk show host, and then you meet that person or you see a picture of them, and sometimes what you had in your mind isn't anywhere what that person looked like. You had conjured up this image in your mind based simply on their voice and a little bit of their personality that would shine through during their conversations, perhaps on the radio. And you've seen them and you realized, I was sadly mistaken. That's not at all what I thought they looked like. The production team is going to show a picture on the screen. Do you know what this picture is? It's a cocoon. It is really this. Talk about a transformation. But from the caterpillar to the cocoon to the butterfly, all of what was always inside of that little creature, it is definitely not what I would have pictured if I had first seen a cocoon and never seen a butterfly. How about this picture they'll show? Some, I call them acorns. Some of you call them acorns, whatever you call them. But do you know what's inside of one of those acorns? That. No way. That cannot all fit inside of that acorn. No, but everything needed to be this gigantic oak tree is inside already inside that acorn. It just needs the proper ingredients to get it out. God is magnificent. He's a wonderful God. He's a powerful and creative God. There's a verse of scripture that I love. It's Paul writing to the church in Rome. He's talking about Abraham, but listen to this verse, Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, the God who quickeneth the dead, and the God that calleth those things which be not as they already were. You can't see it necessarily, but God says it like it is. He calls things to himself into existence that I can't fathom and I can't comprehend. He calls them as if they already exist, as if it's already here, as if it's already done. Just a second, I've got to dance. The acorn is already the oak tree. It's all there. We can't see it. We can't figure it out. We don't know how it works. But to God, he can call an acorn an oak tree because he calls those things which be not as though they were. The cocoon, a butterfly. I see a cocoon. Everything about it looks like a cocoon. But if the environment is correct, moving down on the inside of that cocoon, a wing starts being formed. 
flight patterns start being placed in its little brain. And soon God will call something that didn't look the part, didn't even seem the part, didn't seem like it could happen, seem very unlikely into something we never dreamed because he's the God who can call something as if it already existed. You can follow along in Judges 6 and 7 as we go through a Bible account. The Israelites, God's people, were doing evil. So they'd been handed over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were mean to these people. The Israelites made hiding places in mountains and caves and any stronghold that they could find. The Israelites would plant crops and were so many, there were so many people of the enemy, they would, they would come in and they would just strip the land of everything. The Israelites were starving. They were in trouble. This enemy stole their livestock. The Israelites were destitute. Finally, in their desperation, the Israelites cried out to God for help. And God, as he does, he heard them. An angel of the Lord came down and sat down under a tree. This was near where a man by the name of Gideon was threshing out some wheat, but he was doing that in the bottom of a wine press. He was trying to hide this grain from the Midianites. I'm certain Gideon was hungry. He was scared. We know he was discouraged. Because Gideon didn't know this was an angel, but when the angel struck up a conversation, this was Gideon's response. Well, if the Lord is with us, then why in the world's all this happening? Where's all the miracles our ancestors talked about? The stories where they said, oh, he brought us out of Egypt. Where's all of that? God's abandoned us, handed us over to the Midianites. It seems Gideon was so despondent in his circumstance that he didn't really hear all this the angel had said when the angel initially struck up the conversation. Look at Judges 6.12. The angel of the Lord appeared in him and said, the Lord is with thee, and that's where Gideon went ballistic. Oh, if he is, and that, and this, and the other. Notice what the angel also said. Thou mighty man of valor. Gideon, you missed something very important. Let's try this again. Judges 6, 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this, thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Thy might. What might? He's hungry, confused, scared, hiding, complaining. So Gideon replies, verse 18, and he said unto him, Oh, my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? My family's poor. We're a poor family in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. There ain't no way. Just small and poor. It can't happen, verse 16. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. I'm going to be with you in such a way, 
it's going to be like you're fighting one guy. Your enemy is getting defeated. God calls things which be not as though they were. Gideon's still doubting. Tells the angel, I need a sign. I can imagine the half eye roll of the angel. We got a tough one here. God says, or Gideon says, don't go away. I want to bring an offering to you. The angel said, I'll stay here. Gideon goes home and cooks a meal for him, brings it back in a basket. The angel said, put it there on that rock. So he put it down. Gideon put some broth over it and all this. It was ready. The angel touched it with the end of his cane. Rock or fire shot up out of that rock, consumed it, and the angel disappeared. If you're already a little bit hesitant, already a little bit shy and scared, already just been told, Israel's depending on you, bucko. Then you encounter all of that. When Gideon realized he had just been arguing with an angel, he really got scared. Oh, Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen an angel face to face. And the Lord said, calm down, Gideon. Don't be scared. You're not going to die. Gideon did the right thing, built an altar and worshiped God. That night, the Lord said, Gideon... Take your daddy's truck. Well, it was a bull, but it would have been a truck nowadays. Back it up to your dad's altar that he built to Baal and pull that thing down. Then the Asherah pole that he has up next to it, cut it off. When that's done, be very careful how you stack the stones, but make an altar to me. Take the Asherah pole put it on there, light it on fire, and let that be the fuel to burn the sacrifice to the Lord. Gideon did it! But the Bible says he did it at night because he was afraid of some family members and some townsfolk. But he did it. God calling things that were not as if they were. You mighty man of valor. Me? I've called you to save Israel from this great army. Me? But something must have been moving a little bit. Maybe a wing was being formed in that cocoon. Maybe a root popped out of the side of that acorn. Gideon was scared and unqualified and unsure and intimidated but God was calling something out of him that God knew was in him that he didn't even know was there. Townspeople get up the next morning, see that altar destroyed and, a half, and the other altar built there and the remains of the sacrifice. Who in the world did this? And they went on a rampage and sent out a search party and they soon found out it was Gideon. They went to Gideon's daddy's house, beat on the door, Joash! Send your boy out. We're going to kill him for tearing down this altar of Baal and this Asherah pole. Joash, his daddy, had enough smarts to yell back, why are you defending Baal? If he's truly a god, let him take care of himself. Let Baal kill off who broke down the altar. Good answer. Judges 6.32. Therefore, on that day, Gideon or his dad called him Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he hath thrown down his altar. 
a name change. From then on, Gideon was known by a different name. Let Baal defend himself. This is not the same Gideon hiding in a wine press, trying to eke out some food to eat. This was the Gideon that backed daddy's truck up and tore down an altar, a heathen pole, and built an altar to God and worship. Flight patterns were being dropped into him. Wings were starting to be formed. Roots started to get deep in the ground. It wasn't long after this, the Midian, as if it wasn't big enough, Israel's mean enemy, they formed an alliance with Amalek and the other people of the east. They all got together and crossed the Jordan, setting up camp in the valley of Jezreel. Judges 6.34 says, But... The Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet and Abiezer was gathered after him and next verses talks about different people. He started gathering the people. Gideon's still a little nervous, asking God for some signs to make sure this is really what you want me to do because Gideon was up against an impossible situation. Gideon asked for some more signs. He wanted more confirmation. Judges 7 starts out with telling us the guy that pulled down Baal's altar, him and his army got up early and went toward the enemy's camp against them. Then the Lord said to Gideon, you got too many fighters. Because if you all win, you're going to say, we did this. Look at us. Tell anyone that's scared to go home. Anybody scared? Go home. 20, oh, yeah. 22,000. Got their little pom-poms and dance. No, 22,000 went home. 10,000 were left. Gideon, too many. Tell them to go drink by the water. Anybody who dips their head in, water in and brings it up to their mouth, put them over here. Anybody puts their head in and laps like a dog, put them over there. 9,700 lap like a dog. 300. Well, I'll take these people. Nope. Take these people. There's your army, Gideon. 300. The 300. That's your army. Send everybody home. So Gideon turned pale, ran off and screaming and went back into the dough, back into the wine press. The original Gideon, possibly, perhaps, but this is the Gideon that God was calling things as if it were already in existence. You mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you to defeat the entire enemy and deliver all Israel. So when 9,700 went home, Gideon got that army of 300 men and God, God called them and told him to march to the enemy's camp, Judges 7-9. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, get up, get down into the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. There was no battle Everything looked like it had always looked. 80 gazillion of the enemy out there and 301 men making up the army of Israel. But he's the God who calls things that are not as if they already are. Go down to them. I've delivered them into your hands. To God, it was a done deal. 
Gideon and his sidekick went down to the edge of the enemy camp, and there were so many enemies. that The, the, the Bible said it looked like locusts across there, and so many camels. It said it just looked like sea. It looks like sand of the seashore. This was a ridiculous matchup. 301 against thousands upon thousands. But just for extra confirmation, because the Lord is kind, Gideon happened to sneak up to a tent where a guy just happened to be telling his buddy about a dream he just happened to have. I had this dream, this loaf of bread came tumbling down the hill and smacked the tent and knocked it down. Quit eating pizza at night? I, what, what would you tell him? And then I woke up. His buddy panicked. Oh, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon victory over Midian and all its allies. Ooh, this is not in my notes. When the enemy believes more than the people of God, I'll stick to my notes. Judges 7.15. Judges 7.15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped. And he returned to the host of Israel and said, get up, everybody. For the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Pause. Excuse me, Gideon. Everything's still the same. Are you lying to your troops? God's delivered them into your hands. They're still out there with all their sawed-off shotguns and everything else they have. They're still out there. No battle has even taken place. There are so many enemies you can't count, and that army against 301 of us. But do you see what Gideon is starting to do? He is speaking what God has already spoken to him. He is now calling things that are not as if it already had done. Arise, for the Lord hath delivered them into the host into our hands. Gideon said that, and nothing had happened yet. This pagan altar puller downer divided the guys into groups of 100, gave them a missile launcher, a nuclear weapon. No. He gave them a horn, a clay jar, and a torch. This is how I fight my battles. You're in trouble. <laughs> You're in trouble. I think God, it's just sometimes, it's either God or nothing. Thousands of well-armed enemies. And 301 guys with a horn, a clay jar, and a torch, all smiles. He told them, all right, keep your eye on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do what I do. When you hear me and my team blow the horn, you blow those horns as loud as you can. Then you shout the sword of the Lord and have Gideon. So they got in their positions and just after midnight, the changing of the guard of the enemy's camp Gideon and his team reached the edge of the Midianite camp. They blew their horns. They broke those clay jars, blazing torches in the air. They were screaming. They were yelling, horns blaring. They all just stood their position in all this and watched 
chaos and panic ensue in the enemy. They were defeated by 301 men, but ultimately it started with one man who God called who God called something out of that he didn't even know it was there himself that no one could have predicted. God called it as if it already was in existence. The guy who ultimately was excited to fight the swarms of enemies with 300 armed with a horn and a jar and a torch was the same guy that was hiding out in a wine press a little bit earlier. How in the world? Because God called something out of him is how that happened. In the Bible, you have a young girl engaged to Joseph. Her name was Mary, and I'm sure she was doing what all other young ladies were doing at her age in the Bible times, that God needed a body, Luke 1.28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind, what kind of a greeting was that? Verse number 31, and behold, Hold or 30, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. God called it. She didn't see it coming. She didn't know what was in her. But something, somehow, during that conversation began to take root because Luke 138, she answers back, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me as the according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know when it's going to happen, but God called this out. I don't even see it in myself, but here am I. Whatever you think I can do, let me do it. God told Abram, I'm just going to go ahead and change your name already because you may not see it, but inside of you are nations. So let's do a name change to match your identity that I already see, and I'm going to call you Abraham. And while I'm at it, don't call your wife Sarai any longer. Kings are going to come from her lineage. Call her Sarah because God calls things as though they already were in existence. Old patriarch Jacob, you've been a liar, a deceiver, a trickster, but I see something else in you. All those promises that I gave to Abraham are going to prevail through you. Let's call your name Israel. He's the God that calleth things as though they were. When Jesus was walking on the earth and was calling people to follow him, Luke 1:41, he first findeth his own brother Simon, saith unto him, We found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him, Simon, to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, just looked at him, he said, You're Simon. Your daddy's name's Jonah. But you shall be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Uh, Jesus, you just met the guy. This is the guy that's going to say things when he really should keep his mouth shut. 
this is the guy that's going to start walking on the water and then get a little distracted and double-minded double and then start to sing. This is the guy that's going to desert you, deny you, lie about it. No. Jesus saw something else. When Jesus beheld Simon... He didn't see an acorn or a cocoon. He didn't see a wishy-washy person. Jesus saw a day of Pentecost preacher. He saw a book of the Bible writer. He saw someone willing to risk it all to take the gospel everywhere to everybody. He's the God who calls things out as though they already were. The little boy is so scared of everything. The little boy who couldn't stand up in front of people and sing or talk if he had to. The little boy that his kindergarten teacher was pretty sure that was something wrong with him and advised his parents to get some psychological evaluations and get him some help. The chubby little boy that was picked last for any sport because nobody wanted him on their team. He wasn't very good. The little junior camper that when he was nine years old, God snuggled up beside him and spoke to him and called him and told him he was going to do something special for him. He's the God that calls things as though they already were. Wrong guy. No one wanted him on their teams. He's too shy. He can't do anything worthwhile. The little boy that just molded over, never told a soul, but thought there's no possible way. But the little guy grew into a teenager that was still awkward. But a root start pushing through into the dirt. The young guy who didn't know what to do, but he would just pray and teach Sunday school class and knock doors on Saturday and ride the van to pick up kids for church on Sunday and clean the church up and pull the weeds around the church and mow the churchyard and read the Bible and would fast. What's it supposed to look like? God called him. He spoke to him at nine, but now it's 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 years old. Not much was there, but a wing was being formed. How to fly was being dropped into his mind. Another root was pushing into the soil. I don't know how it really happened, but one day he started leading worship services and the anointing would start falling. More and more worship services, more and more anointing than a lesson here, a little sermon there. Through ups and downs and questions and fears, please trust my motive and my spirit when I say, how in the world did that chubby little junior camper who couldn't play ball, who was scared of everything, stand in this pulpit today and pastor this great church because God calls things out as though they were. He called thieves and prostitutes and poor and uneducated to be his disciples and that group turned the world upside down because he sees things, something we can't see. God calls things as though they were. I'm preaching this morning to a Gideon here who's tired of being scared in the bottom of a wine press, sick of the enemy constantly taking everything from you because something has been stirring. God has been calling. You just know a wing has been formed. 
formed. No one can see it yet, but there's something rumbling. You feel like backing dad's truck up to something and just tearing down a stronghold because something just keeps moving down on the inside of you. It just hits different at times. You get ready to comb your hair and all of a sudden you flip that brush around and something down on the inside of you, people of Hazelwood, you need to repent of your sins. God is a God who's able. Oh, it just looks like a mirror in you, but you see a crowd and you see a revival. You're still a little awkward, but every time you see a globe, you spin it around and point to that country. Something's calling you there. Something's resonating on the inside of you. Mary, through your willingness, history and people's destiny was changed for eternity. God has already set some things in motion. God has called it. It is time for to start bursting out of that cocoon. It's time for you to believe what God has already called you out. You might not be in mighty oak yet, but get the ingredients right. God is calling it out. Let me preach to people who are all over the place on their journey. Some of you may feel like there's just some rumblings. Something's changing inside. Make sure you keep the environment right. Let God continue to build and work on that. Some of you, things are changing. There have already been times, it may have been at night, but you backed daddy's truck up and you pulled some strongholds down that nobody even knows about. Oh, that's a wing sprouting. That's a getting out of the cocoon. Your wings are developing. Your dreams and goals are taking ready shape and you're ready to fly. Stop making excuses. It's time to fly. It's time to stretch those branches out and carry some weight and shelter some people. You have been hiding in the long press long enough. God has called it. Get out of your hiding. God has called it. I'm not going to stop the flow of the Spirit at all. But here's how I want the altar call. There are people up here in every, every area of their journey. Some, they're not sure what's happening, but it's just a little root sticking out. But some of you have been wrapped in that cocoon for years, and it is time for you to bust out of that thing. You already have the flight pattern. You already know what to do. So while those are praying, I would like some former missionaries and some former pastors and some prayer warriors and those with giftings of administration and hospitality and faith. I want you to come lay hands on some people and confer some things onto them because God is about to do something miraculous in people's life. Hazelwood's waiting on somebody. St. Louis is waiting on somebody to get in place. Let God speak to you.